shining at the end of every day. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow, and tomorrow's just a dream away. Man has a dream, and that's the start. He follows his dream with mind and heart, and when it becomes a reality, it's a dream come true for you and me. So there's a great big beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow. Welcome to Bad Movie Brunch with me, Luke, here in Chicago. And me, Katie, here in Los Angeles. Oh, Katie, we are being more consistent and we're back doing another episode. We're going to have three episodes in like three weeks, which is a, a, a new thing for us. <laughs> it, it's a marvel. It truly is. We're, we're becoming podcast adults. We're finally, yeah, I honestly feel like that way. Like, how, what what age would you say you become an adult in the eyes of, like, the podcast society? The, the um, podcast society? Maybe yeah. after a certain amount of episodes or once you get a certain amount of frequency down. We're over 25. Or do you mean, like, a specific age, like, uh, your legal, like, 18 episodes? <laughs> you know, I, I think I did mean it that way, but yours made <laughs> way, more, way more sense because, you know, uh, yeah, I guess so. 25 episodes, we're now grown up and being more consistent mm-hmm. and we're going to keep watching more movies and so far so good i've been thinking about britney spears all week since we since we last really spoke. good yeah, i love i've been thinking about her. britney spears like all year what? <laughs> 2019 is the year of britney it sure is every year is the year of britney god she bless drives me crazy i just can't see but we're not talking about britney not crossroads this week uh, as you saw in the title when you downloaded the episode and hit play, you jerk. Uh, that's me talking to the... Maybe, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say that to the, anybody listening. Just like, I call the audience a jerk. And like, mm-hmm. but then I expect everybody to listen to our show. So maybe I should... Okay, sweet listener, you know we're talking about Tomorrowland right now. Yeah. Uh, because you click play, you jerk. And <laughs> uh, this is a movie that I feel like if you, like people hardly even remember like if they do it's vaguely and like nobody saw it it was like came out in 2015 it was sort of like if you saw it in theater good job because that was only like two weeks and it was gone um Mm -hmm. had you seen it before no this was my first time i remember seeing the trailer and being like that looks kind of interesting and mysterious and then when it came out hearing that it was really really bad and being like oh okay i guess i'll stay home were were reviews immediately ugly? Like, were they immediately bad? Because like I had uh, I had no concept. I'm just like a big Disney fan, obviously, mm. and just a total total shill for the mouse. And so I was there no matter what. And that movie called Tomorrowland, which is like you know, for the uninitiated, which like pretty much everybody should probably or probably does know this, but Tomorrowland's one of the one of the pillars of the Magic Kingdom, uh, both in Disneyland yeah. and Disney World, and that's really cool. And I'm like. Of course I'm going to see a Disney movie called Tomorrowland. Like, I don't care what it's about. (laughs) And uh, that's, like, part of, like, maybe why I hold such a candle for it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I don't, I don't, I don't remember, I don't remember listening to reviews of it when it came out. So to Google it and see it was a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, I was like, oh, thank goodness, because then we can talk about this. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So you didn't see it until this week. Yeah, I didn't see it until uh, last night and this morning. 
You, you, it, I, I, dude, I had to put it back on and like skim through some stuff. It, it warranted a rewatch. I'm like, wait, what's this movie about? I'm, I... It's, it's about a lot of things. It's, uh, it, and it's been a while. I, I was telling Erica this that that it's been a while since we've watched a movie on this podcast where I had trouble getting through it, and this was one of those movies. I had to split it up because I was just like, oh, this is, this is too much for Katie. There's a lot going on, which we'll dive into, and I'd love for you to explain to me the ending because I feel like I missed something. I'm I'm not so sure I can. Um, <laughs> I, I have okay. to admit this is going to be an episode where we wade through it together. Because <laughs> okay, uh, cool, cool. I thought I knew what this movie was about. I saw this and I saw this in theater, but I haven't really watched it since. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I bought that Blu-ray <laughs> uh, for the viewer just to be like, I need this on my shelf. And uh, I, thank goodness I own it because a rent would not, just one rent in view would not give me the amount of uh, uh, critical analysis time that I need in order to truly understand this. And I think this is a movie I'm going to just like, I get in these phases where I'm going to pop in over and over and like really dig into it. And I'm like, oh, now I get it. And this is what's happening. And like, maybe, you know, this is could be my Disney Batman v Superman. I don't okay. know. Okay. I don't know. Cool, I don't know cool, if I'm cool. willing to go to bat for it quite as hard as I would for Zack Snyder. But Brad Bird is certainly uh, a name in and of himself, Mister Mister Incredible himself. Well, there does seem to be some Brad Birdisms throughout it, like the the fascination with the future and that kind of uh, retro future style that he uh, employs in uh, the Incredibles and in um, the Iron Giant. Iron and Giant. I thought that was really yeah. fascinating to see live action because it felt like this movie really just wanted to be a cartoon, like really totally. badly. And took like a lot of like chances with a lot of the animation, which I thought every time they used CG, for the most part, I was okay with it. I thought it looked pretty good. It was just like a, a really weird mix of tones and a really weird, um, I don't know. I don't know who the movie necessarily is for. The demographic in terms of like Disney, who knows how to work a demographic and can milk an audience for all their worth and make billions upon billions of dollars with all of their different like properties like marvel properties star wars properties everything else this is one uh that stands out kind of sticks out like a sore thumb because um they don't do this a lot and while tomorrowland is technically ip of theirs this is made up you know what i mean like they they really they gave this to they gave it to brad bird one of their boys and damon lindelof of like of lost fame right (laughs) and uh basically said go for it run wild and we'll we'll throw you money and disney i feel like doesn't take the chance very often uh especially um like john carter was a tank lone ranger was a tank um they every time they try to like go into the genre tomorrowland falls into that same umbrella of not making the money back i have i mean i don't i guess i don't know for sure the figures but i have to imagine it did not make its money back let's see uh according to wikipedia budget 180 to 190 million dollars how 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 like i get it and it looks like they spent it but that is such an insane budget for this movie like what a gamble and like no wonder they didn't like continue <laughs> like what a gamble i guess i'm well i I'm... think that th- well they were looking for another pirates of the caribbean right like like another uh like um blockbuster movie franchise based off of a ride that they could just yeah. milk merchandise with for like ever. So I think that's why they made the big gamble because they already everybody loves IP and they have IP in the form of this ride and they thought that they could exploit it and create a story out of it the way that uh, Pirates was. 
but well, they just couldn't. It's like kind of the opposite. Like, well, in terms of pirates, you have a, you have one specific ride that has like one loose story. Like, it's basically just like a palette. Yeah, you know I mean, it's, it's just waiting to be like painted with and like make like five or six movies out of. But Tomorrowland is just a section of the park. It's like I I feel like if you're gonna do that, make a movie called Space Mountain. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. let's have let's have a sci-fi and like let's you know, or like something like that, uh, as opposed to just like like on one hand. I, as a viewer, and love weird cinema and letting and letting people and artists kind of do their thing, love the fact that these guys were thrown 180 to 190 million dollars to kind of create this this vision or whatever. But it, and it's nice, I imagine, that it doesn't have a built-in story. But uh, I have to imagine, from a marketability marketability standpoint, um, I don't know if it's nearly as safe of a... Of, I mean, first of all, there's not Johnny Depp in this. There's George Clooney, who's, like, not really the main character, as marketed. And and, and it's weird that he is in this movie, because it doesn't seem like something that he'd typically be in. Exactly. No, I know. And it's, like... It's it just... It feels like... I don't know. Like, they took, like, all of these... There's a lot of interesting themes happening here, and there's a lot of interesting story beats. And you've got, like you know, Hugh Laurie and George Clooney and, like, they're kind of the hero and villain but also kind of not because it's a story of this young girl. And meanwhile, we're given all these things to, like, explore and ideas to think about. And when you're juggling all those things, there's really no way to, I don't know, jive or mesh with the characters, I must admit. Um, You know, there's... You're introduced to this little boy that's George Clooney as a kid and... You're like kind of like start off into this story, and then all of a sudden it's like, but we're not talking about that right now. It's actually the story of this girl, and her dad's mm-hmm. Tim McGraw, and uh, which is another like, okay, weird to see you here, man. Um, I just feel like by the time I hit, I like clicked, like I was like, oh shit, we're forty minutes into this flick, and and nothing super, uh, like I, we haven't really gotten anything going. Like it's not starting to snap. Uh, do, do how do you feel like checking it out? Like do you feel the same way because like i know i feel like i'm gonna be like fighting in favor of this movie but i'm doing the negatives and the devil's advocate first just so i can you know play both sides of the fence here you're asking about the setup no no i'm saying i'm playing playing both sides of the fence like i'm just saying what did this movie feel like for you like did you feel a consistent story and a pace or were you put off by yeah that's what i'm saying um, like this uh this movie there's just too much, which you touched on. It, uh, they want to have the young female protagonist, but really they're clearly more interested in George Clooney's story and his past. And I feel like it would have been a lot easier if they just made the George Clooney movie. Like, if they just yeah. kept it on the the child character that is introduced at the beginning of the movie and ran with that and his relationship with the robot girl, uh, Athena rather than even introducing Casey at all. Like, I think that it should have been a exile and redemption story for this guy, and I understand the want for the plucky female lead and, like, her optimism is the uh, uh, juxtaposition to his now uh, attained cynicism, and she's supposed to, like, give him back his old optimism, but it comes off really lame and unnecessary. Like, it, it just really just overcomplicates the movie. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's a little unfortunate because, like, anytime it felt like, you know, you open on, yeah, it's oh, it's hard to stay consistent. So you open on, like, a talking head, actually, right? And it's, like, Clooney mm-hmm. talking to the audience. 
and like and like with this other like uh main character we'll get to later um i guess other main character that's a weird thing to say i don't know casey right isn't that her and uh so they're talking back and forth and it's like no explain the story and yada yada so that you're doing that for like five minutes and then when we finally get the flashback it's really cool it's the 1960 uh 1964 world fair and uh they're playing like fucking music from the carousel of progress at disney world and like you you ride the you ride the small world ride to get to the out of this weird elevator that takes you to another dimension that's Tomorrowland and you got this kid who's trying to build a jetpack and I'm like oh this is a movie I'm feeling this like all of that like stuff was so pleasing to me especially as just like as as I said before a shill for the mouse like a fan of the brand like yeah give me the Carousel of Progress movie give me that you can totally tell they shot at the uh, at the uh, small world in LA. We rode that, Katie. We we rode and we were in Tomorrowland the film, basically. Like, so little things like that, which I know have nothing to do with the actual like whether or not the story is good. Like it's 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 yeah. so easy to just make me be like, well this movie's great and we're only ten minutes in and you know, fuck it, I'll watch two hours and fourteen minutes because you already won me over. I don't know, man. I, I don't know if it's like that for anybody else, but I truly like felt so charmed and delighted. Uh, at such like detail and wink and nod at like the parks and like you know Walt Disney himself uh, to include well, in the film and maybe it's a little do you think maybe it's a little too self-referential maybe well sure I, I was a little bit confused by the um well the it's a small world after all being a secret um location for this group of scientists being harbored because then it turns out that they're in an alternate dimension so does that mean that there's just an alternate dimension under it's a small world after all well, that's a good question. Um, so here's my analysis. So like Small World and Carousel of Progress and like a lot of those rides that like ended up at the parks or where the parks were also like sometimes premiered or taken to the World's Fair um, mm-hmm. in, in Walt's time and stuff. So that was like a, maybe like a one and done uh, like Small World that like they later um, like just it, it was just like a pop up at the at the New York's uh, 64 World Fair or whatever. Um, so in terms of shooting location, definitely was at the California one, but I guess maybe if I'm to understand like the fabric of the story, the people working with Disney, I guess, I mean, oh, why not make Walt Disney a character in this? Fuck. That's really smart. Katie, you're onto something here because, uh, if, if Walt Disney were a character in this and he put the world's fair ride to make it a secret thing for the secret, like, you know, inventors of tomorrow or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that was the reason it was a secret passageway to the alternate dimension. That is tomorrow land. That'd be the coolest thing I've ever. Oh my God. That's a movie right there too. But that's what I'm saying. There's all these cool little threads that kind of have to be left to fizzle and none of them really start to fire together. Yeah. And I'm, I feel I'm like there, there should have been a return to the park. Wouldn't have that made some sense? If yes, they, If you introduced it at the beginning, the World's Fair, like, I feel like there should have been another event at the end at Disney World with a similar kind of, like, imagineering look to the future kind of thing. Because if the whole point is that our view of the future is more cynical than our view of the future was in the past, like, I, I feel like there should have been a more solid juxtaposition of that rather than just apocalypse yeah, um, in terms of, yeah, in terms of, like, honestly, it, it seems like this was almost more, Tomorrowland, as we see it in the movie, I guess was, like, almost more so 
what Epcot was originally conceived as mm. by Walt Disney. Like he wanted to make like this special like city and society that was like very forward thinking and how it like spent and saved and like conserved and used energy and everything else. Like a fully like a fully self-sustaining like pro- like was it experimental prototype city of tomorrow um, mm-hmm. in order to like and so maybe like the Tomorrowland, even just like that is, is throws you off the scent because that's not really Tomorrowland itself is what, like, it's just this alternate dimension utopia. It doesn't really necessarily like give us much. Like what, I guess what happens there? People wear cool, uh, like old timey, like sci-fi clothes and people have like foot boosters and jetpacks, but uh, and it looks like Space Mountain's there in the bottom left corner of this, like, sweet little landscape. But what is it about that place that is so attractive? And was it going to, like, save humanity? Because it's this place where they were going to, like, go public and let everybody in. And then they decided not to, correct? Correct. Like, I got the... The, the, the Hugh Laurie character, of course, turns out to be kind of like a flimsy villain. And that he... Uh, he believes that to create a utopia, you can't have the regulars. You have to have the people to make decisions that are like the scientists and the artists and people who can work without the boundaries of politics. And Which actually sounds like a really dark, dystopian kind of thing from my perspective. Because you could really... If you're just going through like ideals, like who's to say that the ideals of artists and engineers and scientists are the good ones? Like, it, it, there's a lot of potential for a lot of bad to go on in Tomorrowland, and I, I didn't see that come to fruition. Yeah, and I guess, like, I guess, like, what what about society? Is, is, is the whole point of the movie, and they're throwing a lot of things at us, but I feel like something in an agenda they're t- trying to push as we move through actually makes it feel even more relevant today in 2019 is that, like, human beings have ruined the the world and so mm. why would we let those regular people into our utopia right and right now when we live in an age where bill nye is you know telling us to wake the fuck up like <laughs> he's yelling at us children that grew up with it like we've ruined earth and it's not that far off that you know shit's gonna get really bad really quick this movie almost feels like you know, scarily relevant in that regard. Like they're showing like the weird like news of like natural disasters that aren't necessarily so natural. Um, they're definitely, you know, sped up by the acts of man and fact, you know, factories and all this horrible shit we're doing. Um, so I appreciate that as an idea, but where does that stack up in a, a, a list of things that, you know, they're also throwing at us? Like is George Clooney in love with this robot girl? Um, yeah okay okay let's 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 dig into this so this movie starts in 1964 where baby george clooney played by this very wide-eyed kid actor uh is has created a jetpack and has gone to the world's fair at disneyland to show it off and the thing about the jetpack is it kind of works it kind of doesn't but he you know he's an 11 year old child who created a freaking jetpack so he gets a pin from this mysterious girl that he's kind of sweet on and that's when he finds out that there's the secret world under the uh it's a small world after all world called tomorrowland where all these scientists and genius and artists go to create and he got invited by her through the the little pin which is like the emblem of the whole place 
and he is clearly in love with her from like the get-go and then over the course of the movie when she pops up again she hasn't aged and you find out that she's actually a robot and her whole mission is recruiting people to become a part of Tomorrowland bring them into this alternate dimension and she hooks up with our main character and tries to get her to do it because she's a special for reasons which aren't very well explained except optimism and they run into that kid at the beginning who is now regular age George Clooney and he is still clearly in love with this robot who has the appearance of an 11 year old child and they she even has a death scene where it's, it's clear that like it's supposed to be like a death scene between two people who were in love with each other but George Clooney is a man and this girl looks 11 and she's a robot Right? While it's weird. Like, like that's what happens, While it, right? It is, no, you're right. It's weird, and I guess I wasn't thinking about it uh, in quite as much depth and detail. It's it's very strange, but I have to I have to think that, like, while in his, like, initial, like, meet-cute, you can call it, as a child at the World's Fair, and, like, you know, leading up to the years, like, he had in Tomorrowland before, like, his, like, eventual exile and everything else, um... I have to imagine the relationship, especially as displayed, in my opinion, uh, once he resurfaces and, like, they find the reclusive Frank Walker, who's now grown George Clooney and stuff. Like, he even mentions, like, yeah, she hurt me. And stuff. he's like, I heard him. She's like, I heard him. Or he thinks I heard him. Or yada, yada. It's like, mm-hmm. I have to think that it's not, like, the the heartbreak he's suffering isn't, like, a yearning to... to um, uh, you know, be with her anymore. I think it's more so like putting him face to face with like the the idea that the the world he dreamed of as a kid, none of it's coming true. Like his dad, his dad like seems like the type of dad who was at least verbally abusive, if not physically. Um, and when he when he tried to be an inventor, when he finally finds this utopia, um, it ends up being a place that he doesn't want to be a part of, and is far more concerned with surviving on its own as opposed to letting the supposed have-nots in and then on top of all that to find out that somebody who you're in love with isn't not not only is she not gonna she's not even she's not even human and you know you can even see past that but if it's a it's it's a it's a robot that is programmed to do something and one of those things isn't love frank walker so i have to imagine it's just like the idea that all those things that he wanted and everything that he thought he could do while being this incredibly intelligent guy who's got all the all the ability in the world to do wonderful things he's more interested in you know secluding himself and staying alone because he sort of feels like maybe he was lied to and what's the point of having these you know abilities and being talented enough to be in the you know the yacht club that is tomorrowland if uh, you're going to be unhappy and maybe her resurfacing is just a reminder of the pain he felt as a child and as ades- adolescent growing up. But he's he's so much older now, and I, I feel like... A, but the element of romance is still so present in the film, and, like, the language that the film provides us is that, like, she's this kind of lost Lenore to him. I get what you're saying, of course, about her being the representation of this larger utopia, but also, but the film is also telling us that it's a lost love, like that this is like a breakup. That's true. It does play it that way probably more than it should. <laughs> mm-hmm. I still, I think I was just like so not thinking that just because I'm like, 
I, I see it, and I, I see what you're talking about in the death scene because it was certainly, uh, a, a, even like with the music and stuff, it was played like sort of like that. And I guess you're right. Like if you present this, if you present this robot girl as like the ex girlfriend, that's really that's really creepy. Uh, and yeah, maybe the it, reason they should have just given why... him a wife or a new love or something. Yeah, to, like, or make something it less weird. to show that he's moved on. I agree. That's that's maybe part of the reason why this movie made no money is <laughs> like, well, that's weird. But I guess I wasn't reading it uh, as a romantic love at that point. I, I felt like I was just r- reading it as like a, the heartbreak of being reminded of a past or something like that. Like the ghost that you thought you wouldn't have to see again is back in your life. And not only on, not only that, but calling on you for help, something you didn't want to do at all. Mm, I get that. I, I get know. that interpretation. Uh, as for Casey, what did you think about her? I thought... Our main character. The thing about Casey, and I like this actress, uh, I remember her being in Dan in Real Life. Um, Britt Robertson, her name is. Um, mm-hmm. I remember her being in Dan, Dan in Real Life, and she was really good in that. That's an awesome movie. And so it was nice to see her basically like... I mean, this should have been huge for somebody's career to get a uh, such a big role in a, in a big-time Disney film and stuff. Uh, I don't feel like I've seen a ton of her since. I haven't really gone down that rabbit hole. I probably will in the, <laughs> in the midst of this mm-hmm. episode. But I thought her performance was good, and I thought she was a lot of fun. I just thought she wasn't given enough to do for me to understand who she was as a character. I know that she's tech-savvy. I know that she's rebellious, and I know that she has potential. But I guess I don't really feel like I know who Casey is. Like, I feel like I know who Athena is, like the robot girl. I understand that character. And I guess mm-hmm. I kind of understand Frank Walker. Uh, but I don't, I don't really know who Casey is other than the, you know, uh, the new version of Frank Walker. That's how the film basically plays her. Like, aren't we similar? Look at us. What a pair. And stuff. What do you think? Yeah, it does seem like she's supposed to be the second coming of Frank Walker, but it, like, the, like the movie opens up like she's like this kind of juvenile delinquent who is destroying NASA property so that her father doesn't become redundant. So she's both bad and rebellious, but also good in the sense that she's trying to do something greater for her family. Totally. And uh, she goes to prison, which is a very interesting move for a Disney film. And on her way out, she finds this pin with all of her stuff, and she's transported to this magical wheat field where she looks upon Tomorrowland and goes through this whole sequence where she's fascinated by this alternate world. And it's it's all laid out like she was chosen to come here and that they need her desperately. Why do they need her? Well, she, she's not described... I mean, you say that she's tech-savvy, but unlike Frank Walker, whose like, first character moment is coming in with a jetpack, she she doesn't have something like that. She th- th- There's no accolades or anything like that to show that she has that kind of similar skill. And Athena's whole thing, when she run, the robot girl, when she runs into Casey, is that Casey is an optimist. And that, and she she scored this, she scored some high score on some mysterious tests that were never really explained, and that's what makes her an excellent candidate to become a part of, as you called it, the yacht club that is Tomorrowland. And but but what? It it didn't seem like there was any kind of explanation or background or anything like that. I I just kind of wanted more of her skills. I wanted to see more of that, and I wanted to know about this test, and I wanted to know what's so interesting about optimism or why she's able to see these certain flickers. She's special, I get it, but I want to know why. I want to know what you think about this rogue 
robot crew of like other people that are that are like on the on the trail of Athena and Casey and uh, Frank, like yeah, specifically the scene with uh, Keegan Michael Key and uh, and uh, uh, Catherine, Catherine Hahn. Keener, right? Oh, Catherine. Okay, yeah. It, uh, isn't it? I thought that it was a cute set. That it was um that you know you have Tomorrowland and you also have this place called Blast from the Past, which is like this comic book kitschy space inspired store. That's cute. Um, I felt it was wildly weird and unnecessary, but I guess the uh they had to be Tomorrowland had to be alerted that there was somebody running around with a pin, one of the last pins, and um but it just it felt so out of left field. And so bizarre. And everybody, and again, all these robots act like cartoons. I don't understand why this movie just wasn't animated. Yeah, I think animated would have been a good way to go. It would have saved a lot of money. Like, imagine imagine if they Disney pixar this and made it, like, an hour 40 and uh, let Pixar people really... I mean, Brad Bird's worked with them before already. And mm-hmm. not that I don't appreciate what's going on in this story. Because, again, I do. I, I would actually go to bat for this movie. And I, and I think I'll continue to throughout this episode. But... Like, yeah, give me a Pixar flick or even just like, I don't know, like a way to not spend $190 million and uh, less on the money side, more on the uh, like character side, because then you don't have to have spectacle to like spend the money and like make that budget worthwhile. And like we can get to know these people as people, Uh, Mm because even like the story that me and you are trying to put together here feels like at times grasping at straws and trying to and trying to make it work. And at some point in a good film, you don't have to make things work. They just work on their own. Um, Yeah, I I just think that like and again, this hour, this movie is two hours long. So definitely some things could be cut to make it like 214 or something like. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, It's it's long too much. Um, But you just said something that I really want an answer for which is that you will go to bat for this movie and we just spent let's see 30 minutes talking about the flaws and i want to hear your side of things why you like this movie things i'll go to bat for um just like the okay so this is very surface level but it means a lot to me and i know i've already touched on it a bit to be an incorporation with things that you can experience and go and see in person and Disney more than maybe anybody out right now is in the nostalgia business. And that's why you get Aladdin live action remake and jungle book and Dumbo and Pete's mm. dragon and uh, lion King coming later this summer. And that's why you get uh, star Wars, a resurgence and them going uh, back and re- you know, visiting old characters. And that's why you get, uh, you know, Avengers Endgame and like building like a whole like cinematic universe where you can keep nodding, being like, "Remember how you felt in two thousand eight, or remember how mm-hmm. you felt when you were a kid going into the Disney parks?" And so to have like Small World in there, to have uh like that because that like that's something that happened that went to the World's Fair. That's cool to have like the Carousel Progress song, like the Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. That's like the Sherman Brothers. That's classic Disney to have that wink and nod and have that playing at the beginning of the movie is great. It's like a gut punch of nostalgia off the bat. To even have it be a pin, which Disney has like changed the game on like pin trading, I feel like. Like when they took that on in the early 2000s and stuff, it's such a fun like thing that they really just, you know, it, if you want to be cynical, it's a way to make cheap things worth a lot of money. But if you want to be like, you know, the fun way about it, it was a way that Disney made like being at the parks even more interactive and you got to go up and meet mm-hmm. people and talk to cast members and collect things while you were there. It's it's just a oh, lot yeah, of fun. So to make 
it's and, a whole culture, which I think is really fascinating. How I love doing it. Disney, they've put that. I in. love doing they've, it. I have so many yeah. pens, and I have like lanyards full of them, and it's like these are ones I'll trade, and these are ones I'm never trading, and it really does make it uh, like a fun scavenger hunt when you're there and stuff. And so to have that be a part of the plot and make the pen so important and have it um, be an identifier is really that. Even that is just like something I'm like, well. The fact that they put that in a movie was taking care of a demographic of people uh, that love visiting the parks. And I feel like the parks, while Disney and the parks, uh, obviously they're synonymous, they're not necessarily like super referenced in all their movies, like the parks themselves. The only one I I can ever think of is also like Saving Mr. Banks, where they go to Disneyland and stuff like that. That's cool. And that's like Mm. when you can put that culture in the world, because the people that go to the like Disney World and Disneyland all the time that culture is completely separate from like people that just go to the movies all the time uh, mm-hmm. or like watch Disney films. Like it's, it's so again, it felt nice to have that wink and nod for whatever, uh, whatever nostalgia they could get out of somebody. But the problem I, I must admit is like the fact that a lot of that comes early. And then when they let the people like Damon Lindelof and Brad Bird kind of do their thing and uh, branch out a little I wish they would have, you know, grasped a few a few of the ideas and themes they're trying to throw at and and just really expound upon them. Um, but I'll go to bat for that. I'll go to bat for the fact that they were willing to give this much money and willing to give this a shot. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I think in some ways it seems like a surefire bet, and there are parts where this movie slacks, but I watched it uh, with my fiancé last night, and we had a great time. Like, we were ready to watch it again. Like, I and I don't know... Um, I I, th- I think there's something to be said about watching a movie and just like watching it and not watching it with a critical eye like we have to do for this show and stuff. But mm. watching it for fun, at least I did the first time, it was perfectly entertained and like it was, you know, fine by me to just watch a pretty movie and like, it you know, kind of like Alita Battle Angel. Nobody saw it. It tanked. The sequels are probably fucked and it wasn't necessarily my favorite movie. But watching a movie with like that much like, care and like amount of people working on it and like seeing a spectacle Mm. is still worth the price of playing for me at some point i'm still okay with seeing something that like took a lot of hard work to exist um and i'm able to really just appreciate that it's not like it's not that it makes the movie suddenly a good movie. And I suppose you can use that argument with any other thing, but you know, if somebody, Kevin Smith has said that if you, if you put a, you know, a billion dollars in a, in a, in a room, people would pay a hundred dollars just to look at it. And Mm. I, I feel like that's sometimes I'm able to do that, especially if you have a little bit of Disney brand uh, flair thrown into it. So I have, I had a lot of fun and I think I'm glad I'll watch it more. And I, I want to dig into it and understand it more because the story, <laughs> admittedly, isn't um, fantastic. Uh, but it's definitely trying. And I respect seeing filmmakers try something. And um, even if it doesn't always pan out, I really like to see people go to bat and take a big swing. It does seem that there was a considerable amount of effort to try to build a world out of this movie, which I do give the, it credit for. Like, like there, there clearly was thought into that. I have a lot of questions about the movie, but I still get the impression that they like had people mapped out this entire society, and you find out later on in the film that the creators of is it Plus Ultra? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the the heads behind Tomorrowland are, um, because they have to go to the Eiffel Tower at some point, that it's uh, Gustav Eiffel, Jules Verne, Nikola Tesla, and Thomas Edison were the founders. And I I can see what they were going to, I I think I can see what they were going to do. So I think that along, like, this movie was going to be a franchise. Uh, Oh, yeah. I think that the ending is very open-ended, which I think was supposed to leave the room for a sequel. And I do think having those four gentlemen, like very historical figures, I think that what they also really wanted to do and what really excited them was the possibility of doing a prequel of going into like this kind of um, early 1900s, late 1800s time and talking about like future tech and a kind of more steampunky movie. And, but and I think that's cool that they thought of all those things, but I just think that it felt like too much within this one narrative. But uh, it is, I, I agree that it is cool that they took a chance and they created something new and different. Yeah, and I, I, I think that also I'm sort of reading about the development of the film right now. And the idea was originally, I guess this movie had a working title called 1952. Mm. And uh, it was a while yet before they decided to call it Tomorrowland, like the uh, thing. And so this movie, I think, was maybe supposed to be a period piece already. And Mm. instead, and maybe that's why a lot of things aren't firing, because like you put eight drafts on top of a movie called 1952. That was sort of like supposed to be about like the optimism and like how that culture isn't really around anymore. And it's like really faded and how like we can go to space and we can do it and all this stuff. And we're not really like that anymore. And maybe if we had that movie instead, maybe it's worth, maybe it makes a little more money because this movie's a downer. It's absolutely like for the most part, I mean, it's adventurous and it's fun to look at and there's a lot of neat action pieces and like stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it it is a bummer of a film. It's a very, it's very uh, cynical um, when it's, I think trying to accomplish the exact opposite of that. Yeah. For sure, because there is talk about like um, redundancy and what we've done to our planet and how we don't deserve the utopia that is Tomorrowland and all that. And it it seems like trying to have your cake and eat it too, in the sense that like let's be more optimistic, but also we're all terrible people. You know what? I think I remember when this came out. I think mm-hmm. they also published a novel like concurrently with the movie that was a prequel. I wonder if oh. I'm making that up. I wonder if I'm making that up. That'd but be I interesting. Like, the deep lore of Tomorrowland that they were building out. Like maybe that was the deal. And also I remember seeing that too and being like, okay, if that's what we're going to do, why don't we do it for all, all of the pillars of Magic Kingdom? So like, why don't we do Adventureland? Like, can you imagine like a big Thunder Mountain Railroad kind of movie? Like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't oh, we do? Oh man, Disneyland yeah. expanded universe. Yeah. Okay. Oh my I, I God. see what you're putting down. Yeah, give yeah, it to okay. me. Yeah. Like, what if we do like uh, Fantasyland? I mean, give me a break. That'd be so fun. Um, and that. So I would have been super into that. Uh, and we're kind of. They're still kind of staying on that track because don't forget we have a Jungle Cruise movie coming starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh yeah. Like, that's God that's bless official. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. That he's in everything, but like. That's also an excellent Disney ride. And they're like, you know what? Tomorrowland is too vague. People like Pirates of the Caribbean. Jungle Cruise franchise. <laughs> they're right. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, I think they know how to make money. And it's sad that this movie didn't make more. Because while it's not necessarily the most riveting film we've ever seen or talked about on the movie, it's really taken a big a big shot. And it's really like, 
if movies like this don't do better, they're not going to ever happen again. Um, mm. And who better, who better to like Disney basically for the most part runs the table at this point. It seems like, yeah. And uh, sure. they don't like taking, they don't like taking shots of the ego like this where let's see. Tomorrowland grossed ninety three point four million in North America, one hundred and fifteen uh, in other ter- territories. Worldwide was two hundred nine million against a budget of one ninety. Like that is brutal. Estimated that the film cost three hundred thirty million to produce and market, and the losses were anywhere between one hundred and twenty and one hundred and forty million dollars for Disney. Like, and it was the third original tentpole for a uh, film of 2015 to underperform. So this came out mm-hmm. right along with Jupiter Ascending and Seventh Son. So like people mm-hmm. really didn't want these tentpole sci-fi movies or they all just sucked. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, I I, I agreed with you. And, and I'm glad that we were able to talk about this because I, I do miss Disney taking risks, even if it is creating IP out of their existing theme parks. That's still something more than doing live action Dumbo. So so I get the, the, the want for risk and even though this they don't do that because this something like this fails so hard. And it, it's interesting like how do you calculate what will work and what doesn't? Sure. You gotta you gotta take a crack. You yeah, know, I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And listen to listen to Dave Hollis, uh, Walt Disney Studios motion picture distribution chief. Uh, mm. Talk about taking it on the chin. This dude goes, Tomorrowland's an original movie, and that's more of a challenge in this marketplace. We feel it's incredibly mm-hmm. important for us as a company and as an industry to keep telling original stories. Dave Hollis, mm-hmm. you're a dope motherfucker. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. And that's like, yeah. and, you know, that's that's what I want to hear. And, you know, that's how you end up with Prince of Persia. But, uh, but sometimes you gotta... Sometimes you gotta, and yeah, they'll figure it out. Yeah, we need Prince of Persia to appreciate other things, like Detective Pikachu. It's also, like, tough. Like, man, making this a summer release, like, with Age of Ultron and Mad Max Fury Road and, like, stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, I, there just really wasn't a place for it. I wonder maybe... I don't know what the answer is to make this... to make this Like, maybe a, a rewrite or two? I'm sure there was plenty. Um mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the answer is. It's also hard when it's not an MCU movie. It's not a Star Wars movie where you have a formula in place that people want and it's going to hit the beats mm. and you. it's like a paint by number. Like they really were like trying to create something almost, almost wholly original. And for the stuff they do and for like how, uh, how effective they are, I give it mm-hmm. to them. Like a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, that's fine, but it's not a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um mm-hmm. This, I'm really feel like I'm being this movie's like this movie's my little my little kid who got bullied at school and I'm its mom, and I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, you're doing all right. <laughs> this, yeah, there's good in there for sure. It, it, there's some fun, uh, but I I do agree that I it could use a rewrite, and I think that part of the problem might be because they had these big ambitions for a franchise and they didn't they did too much in the first one. Like they should have done the the Marvel element of introducing like one character and one place and then combining everything together so if they had just done the frank origin story at the beginning i think that would have been pretty compelling i like to see the uh the 1964 disney world and i i think um that's where brad bird is most comfortable so i think if they gave let him do that and then expanded the universe in the next one with casey 
I think it would have flowed a lot better. I think this definitely could have been multiple movies, and they just crammed too much. Well, and not to and not to throw a million quotes at you, but here's the director and like you know I believe co-writer himself, Brad Bird, saying uh, in October okay. 15. People will argue about whether or not we told the proper story or not. That's what we're doing right now, Katie. People ask, why did you spend so much time in a car when you could have been in Tomorrowland? But the movie was always intended to be a road movie, and its title seemed to suggest to some people that the whole movie was going to take place in Tomorrowland. We had a lot of ideas for Tomorrowland, but just running around Tomorrowland is not a movie. There has to be a conflict. It has to be somewhat interesting. We set out to make a fable or a fairy tale about what happened to the positive view of the future and how can we get it back and pursue that idea. For better or worse, we did. Um, maybe for worse, <laughs> just to be honest. But again, look at people just sticking to their guns. I, I truly do appreciate that um, mm. as like a fan of like risk-taking cinema. Um, I will say that I think a movie in Tomorrowland the whole time could be far more interesting than this movie. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I agree with Brad Bird, but hey, I didn't make the flick, right? <laughs> it's true. Do you have anything else to say about Tomorrowland? Uh, I'm ex All I can say about Tomorrowland is I do like it. I'm happy it exists, and I'm going to dig into it more. And uh, hopefully at some point I'll have, like... I don't know. There's 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 more to this movie than I'm giving than either of us are really like. I just know it. I just know, either it can't just be bad. It's got to be deep, right? Like it's got to be. I'm gonna study it. Um, but I I appreciate what it was shooting for, and um, no, I I you know go Disney, Mickey Mouse forever. I'm a I'm a I'm a corporate shell. Mm. What about you? Final words. All right. Well, I I wouldn't recommend this movie. Again, I, I think it was a little too busy. I But I, I appreciate where you're coming from and that it's more original and that they did take risks. I do think that's a very valid take. I think that there's great movies within this one movie. I just think it's too, too much for me, personally. Yeah, a series would be good for this. It's a shame that this was oh, right yeah, before. Oh, yeah, series, yeah. This was, like, right around when, like, Daredevil and, like, Netflix and all that stuff was really starting to, like, make streaming the thing. Like, it already was, but, like, now streaming, uh, like, series are the best. I wonder yeah, hey, what Disney Plus, happened. give us a call. Ooh, yeah, Disney Plus. Let Oh, my God, we'd write such a good Tomorrowland series. I would bring <laughs> back George Clooney. Uh, oh, my God, now we're talking. All right, well, all right, so we're going to make a Netflix series called Tomorrowland. And mm -hmm. we're going to play with the lore a little bit. Thanks for hiring us, Netflix. <laughs> uh, with that being <laughs> said, Katie, what have, what have you been watching? Like, what else has been going on aside from Tomorrowland twice? I finished up, uh, yeah, I, I finished up uh, Fleabag Season 2, and it is fantastic. I, I couldn't put it down. I watched it all in one night. Um, I think the character is really interesting and complex, and I thought it was really unique to have a story about religion and early you know catholicism in a mainstream television show you, you, these days you don't really hear a lot about people struggling with faith in something mainstream or common something that's just on amazon sure. prime and as a you know we're both catholicists so i really appreciated that i related to a lot of the conflict i think the relationship between the main character and her sister is sweet I, uh, I didn't get the ending at first, but then somebody pointed out to me uh, that it's the, the main character looks to the camera and has a relationship with the viewer, and at the very end of the series, it's like she's leaving the viewer behind to oh. 
yeah, so to not let them in anymore and to pursue her own path. To not use the viewer as a shield, but rather to confront her own problems. And I do think that's pretty genius, and I applaud uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Way to go, gal. That was pretty good. And, and that's the end of a season or the end of the series? Uh, it's unknown right now. I would really like another season. But if they're going that... that she's completely shutting out the viewer, then that's the end of our relationship with the main character Fleabag. So that's who knows? so fucking genius. That's so dope. Yeah. And also like heartbreaking. Cause like, I, oh, yeah. I'm like, when I watch shows on like, like on Netflix and stuff like that, I don't, I never want to watch the last episode. So the fact mm-hmm. that like you, you already acknowledge the depression I'm about to feel of losing a friend, uh, and like, like twist the knife. That's like such good writing. I'm yeah. That sounds mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. It's fantastic. How about you? I saw book smart. Book smart was awesome. Oh, I um, loved book smart. Yeah, Booksmart was right. You know what? The only thing I didn't like about Booksmart um, was the I didn't like the the drug trip scene uh, the, with like oh yeah the Barbie the, with dolls. The dolls? Like, not that it was bad and not that it wasn't funny. It's just that like I thought it was the only thing that stuck out. Whereas the rest of the movie really clips hard and like everything makes like sense to me. Like that one just felt like it almost felt like a studio call. Like no, bro, we have to have a drug trip in this movie. <laughs> um, but I, you know, it, it it still works. The movie was awesome, and it like, it's fun because it's like in some ways you can look at it and be like, oh, it was just a female super bad. But in other ways, mm-hmm. this movie was like so so much more than that. Like mm-hmm. this was so much more uh, inclusive than super bad. Um, yeah. This movie represents sort of like, a, like a fantasy high school utopia where like for the most part all these different groups of people just get along with each other and that was that that was really fun and like interesting to see because the fact of the matter is real life high school is mean and most mm-hmm. people i feel like are mean and things are clicky and friends aren't fr- like people like groups everybody isn't like all inclusive and warm in high school it's not this big like fraternity of brotherhood and stuff like that it's it's a it's a hard place and represented as such but when you think about the genre that they're trying to give a twist to like american pie and stuff like that like mm-hmm. that's fake too so it's like well if we're going to be in a fantasy world already why don't we make why don't we like make the all of our main characters not that it is a fantasy but like why don't we make everybody like be friends with each other and why can't this person get the, why can't this girl get the guy and why can't this guy get the girl and why can't everybody like just interact and have nice like even like we're the stoner dropout kids and they're like no i got into i got into stanford i'm playing soccer there and it's like i got recruited by google the bennies are pretty tight and like stuff like that it just like it seemed like everybody was just like nice to each other for the most part did you feel that way too I well, there was some snarkiness. It, it's um, somebody pointed out that a lot of it is like that episode of Thirty Rock where uh, Tina Fey's character Liz Lemon thinks that she was bullied in high school, and it just turns out that she was just a really bitter nerd. And that okay. it's like that idea in film format, and that they could have been having, they could have been friends with these people for all of high school, but because they were so focused on school and thought that people were not as smart as they were they didn't have as much as a good time so they finally got to have a good time so i think that the the message really was that uh just to be more open about hanging out with people and give people the benefit of the doubt although i really do dislike the trope of everybody getting into ivy league 
Yeah, that, that was uh, tough. That that makes me very sad and disgruntled every time I come across it. I understand <laughs> why in the context of the movie, but on a general whole, as a trope that's in constant cinema, it, it drives me boggers. There's other colleges. It's not all Ivy League. These girls rocked. Every every bit character in the movie positively slayed, especially for like oh, that yeah. like pizza delivery driver Jared. killer dude. Oh. That shit was oh my god. So like so everything good. was just so good and like. I wish that movie would make all the money. It's the same way I feel. Like, I wish... I don't think it had a huge opening weekend, and it sucks because, like, I, I, what the the screening I went to in Evanston was packed. And uh, mm-hmm. I've heard from other people that saw it in Evanston that their screening was packed. And I wish we could get those numbers everywhere because I'm sure it's doing well in L.A. and stuff, too. I wish... In New York, I'm sure. But I wish we could get it in all the cities. And Booksmart would be a movie that people were seeing, like, Avengers, because this is good cinema. <laughs> And uh, it's important. It really felt important for the genre. A genre that I love, like coming of age, high school, all in one night tale. Let's keep mm-hmm. getting those and let's let people like keep flipping it on its ears so they stay relevant because it's awesome. Um, yeah. I saw Ma. Um, you, oh, you saw Ma. How was it? I did not care for Ma. Oh, um, really? Well, I did hear it was I, like body horror. Yeah, but only for like the last like 10 minutes. Oh. Like, I felt I felt really shortchanged by Ma because the trailer stuff is really good and cut up together. It's awesome. But that's really the most awesome stuff of the movie for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. Spoilers. Are you going to see it? Oh, I haven't seen it. No. Okay. Well, do you want to hear spoilers? <laughs> I do, yeah, go for it. Okay. So spoilers to whoever's listening. Uh, maybe mild. I don't know how real I'll get. But it just felt as though I, I didn't believe I didn't believe the dialogue between these characters. It felt like old people trying to write kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took like a scenario that is believable to me. I can believe in a small like Midwest town that kids would be like, oh, hell yeah, this lady's letting us party at her basement. I, I sit there and watch it and I'm like, this is scary because I probably would have gone to Ma's. I wouldn't have been one of the main characters or maybe I wouldn't have been invited at all. But if, if I had the opportunity to be like a background character at the parties at Ma, yeah, I'd go. So like, yeah. I probably wouldn't have died. I probably just would have, it would have been all fine for me. Um, but it's just that like Octavia Spencer is so good and not given enough to work with. And the things that like are there work. The reason she's so traumatized is, you know, brutal. It's horrible. It's like, it's sexual assault. Um, and like the reasons that she like, uh, is the way she is makes sense. Um, but just, it falls into a lot of like dumb high school kid horror tropes that I'm not really interested by. And the movie has like, there's just loose ends and things don't feed into another. And by the time you get to like the hour and 20 mark and things really heat up, it's like, Man, I don't know. I think you could have gone a different route with this one. I don't know if I'm alone. I don't know if it made tons of money. Um, but I was just had a really high bar for it to to clear because I thought it was gonna be, you know, blo- you know, next next level. And it just yeah, because um, of Octavia Spencer and yeah, and she's everything. great and she is great in it. I j- and she's worked with this director before, like in the Help. It's Tate Taylor. They've worked together many times. Um, mm. It's just it didn't it didn't hit for me. Um, mm. And I don't want to be overly critical i was just like i would be interested to hear what you think it just was uh it fell flat oh i gotcha well i'll let you know if i uh happen to catch it but um i'm glad to hear your thoughts and it's really i I think it's cool that you were able to see both of those in a short span of time because they really sounds like they go together 
pretty well because they both do high school and it's like movies. and it's like interesting like yeah yeah to like see how much i'm praising like the high school genre and one and see how much i'm like really like not cool with the representation of them in this one it's like yeah it just felt you know remember we saw power rangers and we were like oh this is a 40 year old dude writing like 16 year old girl um and that's why the, that's why this doesn't work i think that's part of it mm-hmm. you have two i don't know that's just how i feel but other than that i'm just watching cartoons i'm just re- watching cartoons <laughs> really good stuff yeah a lot of a lot of uh, like i said i got dc universe app so a lot of Batman the Animated Series, a lot of Justice yeah. League Unlimited, and I'm just, I'm going to start the Swamp Thing series that just premiered, uh, so I will let you oh. know what I think. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to hear it. I'm, I'm a little curious about it. <laughs> just a little. Just a little, yeah. 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 They're throwing a lot of shows out, and, you know, good on the CW <laughs> for not canceling a one. That's yeah. That's pretty rare. Yeah, it's pretty weird. <laughs> um, I'll let you know what I think. But uh, okay. Katie, thanks for it. taking this. Thank you. Thanks for taking this journey into tomorrow with me. Um, of course. And I've been Luke Taylor. And I've been Katie Grotzinger. Have a good one, folks. There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow, and tomorrow's just a dream away. Man has a dream and that's the start He follows his dream with mind and heart And when it becomes a reality It's a dream come true